Hello, this is Daniel Vaughn. Welcome to Behind the Story. Welcome to part two of Triple H's career. I did almost an hour recording, but I forgot that when you press stop and you press record, restarts everything. So, how did everything get started in his career in WWF? They showed four or five clips of his, of the people he had worked with. And the fourth and fifth person people were guys that I actually know. But the first two or three, I couldn't really tell who they were. They were like Ham and Eggers to quote Bobby the Brain Heenan. The fourth person, I think, was Bret Hart. And the fifth person, I think, was Bob Holly. And at this point in time, Bob Holly, great wrestler. Um, but, and even though his gimmick was um, based after reality, there was not really you cannot really blame uh the fans for for not really thinking too much of him and because you know they did not realize when they brought him in because he was not Bob Holly when he started when he started he was just Thurman Sparky Plug and he just like he loves stock car racing in real life that's what his character was and his and his first vignette was based after that and his suit was was a race car suit to russell in so whereas it was reality based it was still too cheesy just like uh isaac yankum was too cheesy be taken seriously and it ultimately was dropped before it could really be taken off the ground so he spoke about before he before he spoke about how he met Kevin Nash John Michael Scott Hall and X-Pac DDP Don Ellis Page spoke to Kevin Nash on the phone and told him Got a great one coming in, and naturally, they knew Kevin Nash and the rest of them knew who Triple H was, Paul Levesque, by um, watching him on WCW Saturday Night. They said themselves that it was not watching as both wrestlers and fans, Saturday Night was not the best show to watch, but. It was still good, but it was still better than uh, probably a lot of the other stuff they could watch because they were still fans at heart. So, because it's their competition, they want to know who could be cut, who they could get from there. So, when they saw how Triple H was coming there, they actually. In the middle of him try being in line to get a rental car because he started that loop they were used to uh, traveling in in those days 
Kevin Nash all of a sudden blew the horn and said, what you doing? He said, come in here. He, first he said, thanks for other things. He said, no, no, come with us. Who is us, he asked. He says, who it is? So he said, you sure? He said, yeah. He said, thank you. He got in the van, drove off. Or Kevin did. So when they get um, him in the car, they say, he says to them everything that DDP said on the phone. I don't drink, I don't smoke, or all this other stuff. Kevin Nash and the rest of them are used to drinking and doing drugs. And um, that's why he was so... How do you say that? That's why he was so excited along with the rest of them because not only does he love the business and not only can... He learned from them, but he could also be a designated driver for them. And Shawn Michaels even said that after a while, what he became to Shawn Michaels later on, he became that early on also. He became the one to always step in to be the voice of reason, and he would always make sure that Shawn Michaels would... If he was passed out, he would always make sure he got up. And that was before they were even in a group together on TV. And then they spoke about how he got... he was. They were able to convince him to... Vince to make him... Make China his bodyguard. But before that, mention how... Even before he met China, even before... They even wanted to give him a, a bodyguard. Spoke about how he had um, gotten in big, big trouble because himself and Michaels, even though they were given the clearance to go out and tell Holland Ash goodbye, the response of the fans was so um it's so terrible and then the response of guys that couldn't stand them anyway was so terrible that he said ordinarily i'd have to fire you but i don't want you i don't want to do that so you're at the very bottom and he said you're gonna have to learn how to eat crap and you're gonna have to learn to like it and after a while, just because based off his off of his hard work and not just his hard work, but he just had a great he just had a great teacher in Killer Kowalski. So even before becoming Hunter Helmsley, he knew how to cut a promo the right way. He knew how to tell a story in the ring. But there were still a lot of parts of being in the ring that he needed help with. So, um, I still believe after saying this the second time, because I had to find a different way of talking about it, I still believe that the, um, what happened with Hall and Nash 
in Madison Square Garden, known as the Curtain Call, was the best thing that could happen to him because I know that it's I know that it's a shame when you 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 start um, you start winning you start at a position that is considered entry level. Well, I guess you call it entry level or it's the first step in the right direction. Then you go down and you go in a direction that is completely opposite of the way you started and that's actually you go from beating jobbers to being a jobber for a short time. But that is better than uh than getting something without earning it. And even though you did have to lose a bunch, a bunch of guys, the best in the middle of it, okay, after they had an intercontinental title tournament, and yeah, I did forget why they had the tournament. Um, no, I know now why. Ahmed Johnson and Farouk had a rivalry. In the middle of that rivalry, Ahmed Johnson got hurt on TV, and they kept him out of the t out of the ring long enough to, to sell the injury that they took the title off of him, put it in a tournament. The tournament happened, crowned Mark Mero, marvelous Mark Mero, I believe, as the Intercontinental Champion. He had Mr. Perfect in his corner. Mr. Perfect gonna go against Kurt Triple H. Um, then they made it look like Triple H threw one of those case, one of those rolling carts against his leg on purpose. So he talked Mark Mario into defending the title against Triple H. In the middle of that, he hits Mark Kurt Hanna comes out. Takes the chair and hits Mark Merrill with it. Triple H hits the pedigree on Mark Merrill, wins the title, show they were in cahoots the whole time. He needed somebody to manage him or be a bodyguard for him. So after he left to go to WCW, because um, he wanted to get back in the ring, but his back could not take the travel of being in the ring every night, so he probably took a lot of schedule to help his back. And he went to WCW, so they kept on talking to him, giving him a man of giving him a bodyguard. He didn't dislike the idea of a bodyguard, but using somebody like Curtis Hughes, Mr. Hughes, when he saw that name I mean, he had, I think he had pitched to him the idea of using China the first time, but he didn't like it. Because he didn't think the fans would buy it. That she could protect him. And, um... All of a sudden, Kevin Nash um, gets wind of who China is starts talking to Bischoff, bringing her in. So Vince was like, when Vince saw 
how he couldn't let her go. He said, all right, fine, she can use you. You can use her as your bodyguard, but if she fails, it's on you. Then they talk about how they put them, they put him with Shawn Michaels. Before that, they talk about his feud with Mick Foley, first as Mankind, then as Cactus Jack. They show it, and what he was supposed to win when he got in trouble with Vince McMahon due to uh, curtain call. But he had won what he was supposed to win. He won a year after that. And the King of the Ring by pinning um, Mankind. And the thing is, is that I don't think they treated that like a regular match. I think because they started having no rules, period, by this time, <clears throat> I think it made it um, easier for them not only to work with each other, but they said how it helped Triple H get bigger, but it also helped Mick Foley kind of break through to the point that when they went to Madison Square Garden, um, which might have been the first time that Triple H was in the garden with China. I, ha I saw this on the Madison Square Garden story Blu-ray disc that I got on Amazon. He said how, um, I don't know how he was able to, make Foley that is, how he was able to convince them to let him use or wrestle as Cactus Jack. We talk about how underrated somebody can be. Mick Foley. He may not have been one of the greatest technical wrestlers, but when he was Cactus Jack, he showed some, uh, some wrestling ability that I know I did not know he could do. And I, I'm not gonna lie, Mick Foley as Cactus Jack, I loved it. I loved that Cactus Jack character. Like the way he, like the way it looked, like the way he worked in that ring as Cactus Jack, which was no, really no, it was different than Mankind, of course, but the reckless style was still the same. So when I saw how he jumped from the apron, which he usually jumps off that apron to do an elbow drop to his opponent's chest. So I'm do that to Jeff Jarrett once in the early years of Cactus Jack DVD. And what I, what I was amazed at is he could actually jump from that to do a... He did a sunset flip pin attempt on Triple H on the, in the entrance ramp with... Uh, in Madison Square Garden and he said how they had so much great chemistry that's why they kept on working with each other even after the uh, the King of the Ring finals and it helped him because he got to in Mick Foley's words he got to break his comfort zone and it just made him better 
And even McFoley said by that time, it, the British um, gimmick, because it probably felt like a takeoff of WCW's gimmick of Paul Levesque, John Paul Levesque, probably felt like it was a takeoff from that, so there's not much more they could do. They eventually put him with Shawn Michaels, and that because they didn't have any morals. Matter of fact, they admitted to not having any morals. So being DX, or being together after pushing Vince in the, into a boiling point of, okay, do it. Okay, just do it. Stop asking me, just do it. So they crossed so many lines, along with Steve Austin and... Uh, Actually, those are the three most line breakers to the point that you had to create, you had to build new lines for them to break. That's how many lines I think they broke collectively. And his own mother, Triple H's own mother, could not believe what he was doing. By the way, he's named after his father in real life. Um, and he said how he knew, he knows that a lot of people, whenever Shawn Michaels needed to leave the company and to stop wrestling because he hurt his back, excuse me, because they were showing all these different clips about what they were doing to, uh, to have fun as DX. They showed so many different clips that I actually am glad I didn't watch those uh, those clips when I was a kid. It's bad and it was bad enough knowing bad enough watching him become uh, not even gonna say the name he became. Bad enough. Having seen what he called himself when he went against Triple H. But when he went against John Cena, I'm sorry. WrestleMania 22, that's bad enough. But to know how he was making those, uh, I'm hitting, I don't know why incendiary came to my mind, but I don't even know what that means. So making those unnecessary comments to Sergeant Slaughter. And then, um, to knowing what that means, completely unnecessary, and let me put it this way, I hope he doesn't show his kids this, this stuff. So, what was great about him leading DX, even though I want to talk about the show to lead up to that what he did that was great you know as far as being a part of DX is um when he decided to take off with it and to do his own um stuff with DX he did start off saying he didn't think people 
He knows people didn't think he could do it. The best thing was he took a tag team that was not necessarily in a, a great growing stage in their career. Born in Billy Gunn and uh, Road Dog. And he just put them, uh, he just asked them, because they were a tag team, but it was for a very short time. But they were so good and they had so much chemistry that it didn't take them long to get the attention that they actually, I believe they actually deserve the attention they got. So, what happened, so that was, was great, was him doing that for them because it gave them something to work with and they ended up finding great success with that. And then he brought in a friend of his, X-Pac, and that changed the business completely at that point. That changed the dynamic of Raw versus SmackDown, Raw versus Nitro completely. So that's why I'm going to stop this part and do a separate episode about Raw. Okay, thank you and goodbye. Welcome to the Behind the Story Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Vance. <clears throat> I was watching a video on YouTube from uh, the Ruthless Aggression Era. My opinion, even though I love WCW, Ruthless Aggression Don't know why, but every time I try to do this, I always press play without meaning to the action figure. Sorry about that. Sorry, not action figure. Uh, controller of the P- PS4. My reason for coming on here is because I realized just now that I need to do, if I'm going to do this the way I want to do this or like to do this, and I have to do according to the month we're in. So, scrap um, the road to WrestleMania. The road to WrestleMania 13 for now, and let's let's uh, let me talk about um, Survivor Series '97. The road to Survivor Series 97 started um, the night after 
Um, I actually forgot the name of the pay-per-view. <clears throat> this was around the time when uh, they were doing a lot of sit-down interviews with superstars, and Jim Cornette started doing, airing his opinions on TV because they were so inflammatory. They were so inflammatory that uh, somebody in the company, whether it was Vince or whether it was Jim Ross or whether it was just somebody whose job is to uh, is to work in the back, somebody in the back just knew that if this that if his comments on the pay per view were trying to think of the right word to use oh yeah they knew that if these if his comments on uh, on their website by the way the first ever bad blood pay-per-view happened in October 97 so from October 6th until November um, 3rd was the was what um was what Raw was building up to was of course um Survivor Series. Earlier in the show, earlier in the year, which was between April and May, um Bret Hart, his brother, uh, Owen Hart, his their brother in law Davy Boy Smith, their other brother-in-law, Jim Neidhart, and, um, had, they all created, a they all re, trying to, once again, trying to think of the words, they took the Hart Foundation name, and instead of reuniting the tag team Hart Foundation, they took it from a tag team to a group. And they let Brian Pillman join them because he's already friend to the family. And I believe one of the first episodes here on Raw is them remembering Brian Pillman. Now I remember when they honored Owen Hart, it was a 10 bell salute also but we weren't, we weren't really watching Monday Night Raw right here so that's why I didn't know they did this until now for Brian Pillman um what I do know is uh okay let's see how you say this they when they brought um on TV Brian Pillman's uh, wife Melanie. Um, what I what was surprising to me because she looked so distraught, so upset, was her own son Brian Jr. said in a said in an interview that he believes with his heart that she was not as upset as she should have been. It's really surprising to me because she looked like she was really crying. And that's when you have to, in that case, you can take some that person's word for it, 
Because, come on, you know your mom, or at least you should. So that's why, take his word for it, even though I wasn't one interviewing him, I saw the interview, so... I take his word for it, because he should know his mom well enough to know if she was upset or not. Anyway, after the bell salute happened, uh, Michael Cole started doing a lot of the interviews by this time, so he was interviewing Shawn Michaels. Reggie, come on. <laughs> Yeah. 
considering all the damage to Piper's body, I don't think you could hang with him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just say that would have. That's if I was an adult in those days. That's what I would say. <laughs> I don't like when they say fossils because it makes it sound like these people are extinct. They're not extinct. They're they're still around. <laughs> This is when they uh, reveal um, the video of um, when they went hug Holland Nash in the in the ring at Madison Square Garden. This would take too long to do in a normal day, so because most of the stuff I uh, I probably wouldn't want to watch in a normal thing, so I'll just read about it right here.
Alright. <clears throat> the Headbangers. Let me make sure I'm saying this right. Beat the Godwins. Mark Miro defeated Miguel Perez. The British Bulldog with all the members of the Heart Foundation in his corner. Defeated Rocky Mayavia. Who had D'Lo Brown, Farouk, and Kama Mustafa in his corner. Owen Hart defeated Road Warrior Hawk to keep the Intercontinental Championship. Before that, I want to hear what he had to say in his um in his pro in his pre match promos. Promo, excuse me. Hawk also had a message for him. So let's see. He even had a segment between Austin and McMahon. This time he already had that infamous uh, vest. was how he had an actual raw shirt or coat on Vince McMahon and it was called Warzone because of the Money Not Wars and raw and it was on the back of the coat and on the right side of the coat too I think he might have even had his name on it and said so before we Get right down. <clears throat> I'm really surprised they don't have this written down on the website that I'm reading. He was asking Steve Austin why he got involved in Owen Hart's match with Farouk. He said, because I do what I want to. He said he doesn't give a rat's butt if Vince owns the company or not. He's going to do what he wants to do. Do you want to play hardball? That's fine. He said, I, indeed, I assume, since you don't have any paper with you, that certificate from a doctor that says you're capable of wrestling, right? Hey, I it goes too fast. So he ain't been to a doctor, so he does. So he has got no piece of paper. said, I have this release form that can reinstate you immediately. You just signed it in state. No one in the WWF is ever responsible for you and your own actions simply because it protects you from yourself. Wind up in a wheelchair if you 
want to do that, that's your business. In order to do that, I need you to sign this piece of paper. <clears throat> he even said he thinks the fans want him to sign the paper. We actually see an actual smile on Austin's face. The final two matches were actually to manage Jeff Hardy were already on here as a, as a team um, against the Truth Commission, Raycon, and Sniper, and that ended in a no contest. And in a countout, um, victory, Triple H defeated, tri defeated Bret Hart again. Said you don't write, you don't want to think about the alternate. Said you sit here every day, every night, every pay per view, and you say, Steve Austin, the toughest SOB in the world, Wrestling Federation. And that sure is the darn truth. If I was to come and sign her little piece of paper right off the bat, it'd be the dumbest SOB in the WWE, and that ain't, if that ain't true. But I, the little piece of paper, he said he would sign it. If he'll sign a piece of paper, he says you're going to give me Owen Hart's the next opportunity to his title. Because a lot of people, people that may not watch the DVD, the DVDs like the greatest stars of the 90s, or 80s for that matter, people may not have seen that the re the reason he needed a doctor's release is because before before he started just he stopped having matches and he just started having um fights he just started fighting people instead of actually having matches and the reason they were doing that is because he hurt his neck with an accident in a Owen Hart, by Owen Hart, where he, when he went to do, instead of a regular pile driver, he decided to just, the one he would do, and he would sit down. The problem with that was, that was too much of a risk, and what happened, hurt his neck. So, for the past, I don't know many months at this point, he stopped wrestling, and he started just fighting with people. Yeah, by this time, he already gave, had given Vince McMahon the stunner, and that was so unexpected because everybody knew Vince was the boss, but nobody ever said it. So that's why it was such a surprise. And that's I know they did that because it was right after Owen Hart won the right to go to the finals of the Intercontinental Title Tournament. So, for him to ask for another shot at the Intercontinental title shows that it was after he first hit um, Vince. 
He said, you'll sign this return. You'll sign this return action as long as you have a one heart in the ring for the title. He said, if, he said it's not for the title. He just wants to beat the living heck out of him. He said, you're darn right. I'll sign his life away if you can promise him an Owen Hart match. He said, you don't expect me to trust you, do you? He said, show me a pay... Show me in the paper that says I get the match, then I'll sign. And also sign it, then he'll sign it. They get interrupted by Farouk in the back. Starts talking about what really makes somebody tough is the ability to go, is the ability to wake up, like almost like being a, I think vagrant is the old school word. Winter's morning, having to fight your brother for one jacket to wear at school, having to. Th said, second thing he said was having to eat collar grains with your hand because you don't have a fork to go around. I tell you what tough really is, getting up on a bright Christmas morning, watching your younger siblings cry because they don't have brand new bicycles to ride on like everybody else. He said, makes you tough what you do know. tells them to stay out of their business. Your bed belongs to me, so go get ready, he said. And when I get through my legal problems, all this BS solved between me and Vincent Man, you're D right. I'll take every one of you pieces of trash on. I hate, I hate when he says that. I hate when anybody says that. The truth is, is that none of us are anything. None of us are piece of trash. None of us are great. We're all, we're all the same to the person who created. We all mean the same to the person who created us. This isn't a color thing, this is me kicking your butt thing.
was one of the first times I remember where they had the Spanish team on TV with the American announced team. What's he gonna do with Jerry Lawler's uh, crown right here? He grabbed the King's crown. He, how do you say that? He he kicked it in the uprights to the audience. like he was he said he thinks he's behind Austin's back as he's riding up the ramp he said thinks he's tough he does that again he's gonna get his butt kicked by me I think that's what he said <laughs> one of the fans actually put on the crown because it fit him that again. Actually, I think he said he's about to get his butt kicked by uh, Farouk. He's not careful. Always liked listening to uh, Road Warrior Hawk, so I'll take it off.
That's interesting that he would say that. And that's the one thing you should let stand in your way because you want to be able to walk the next day. Next after this match happens is Melanie Pelman talking. Um, 